We are in the book of Ecclesiastes this morning. We'll be in chapter 12. We'll be finishing our series for the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, I don't know how many of you were there, but last summer, when we were finally able to get together after the quarantine, we were in, um, we were out in the, under the sun, and it was a hot day, and that was the first uh, day in our Under the Sun series, and now we're indoors and nice and cool, but we're still in the, under the sun finishing up today. We'll be in verses 9 through 14. This is the, the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. The question of what happens um, when we die has bothered humanity um, for all time. In every era, in every um, culture, in every location, people wonder about death. And both the young and the old wrestle with what happens after life. Um, oftentimes, it's, it's children that ask the best questions about death, the most profound questions. Um, what will happen with her body? Um, where do we go when we die? Uh, will I see him again? Uh, will I die? Uh, will it hurt? These are profound questions, and they aren't the questions of children alone. Um, theologians and philosophers have arrived at many conclusions about what happens after death. Uh, Some would say we just decompose and we're no more. We cease to exist. Others would say we return again in another form. Others say there's an afterlife. There are just countless theories. You could probably go through them for quite a while. But no matter how many theories there are, there must be an answer to this question. What happens after death? I suppose some of you have, have, have um, ans- asked this question, have some answers to it. Uh, some of you are probably settled in your conclusions about what happens after death. Uh, I'm sure others are um, a little bit concerned about it. And others are probably trying to ignore it for now and wait till another time. Uh, today, we reach the epilogue of the book of Ecclesiastes, the conclusion of the book. And, and the preacher, who is likely... King Solomon has spent 12 chapters exploring the emptiness and the vanity of life under the sun. He's thought about it. He, and, and, and from birth to death, he has um, exposed that life under the sun, it's, it's empty. There's, there's all kinds of futility in it. And, and like all good preachers, he began in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2, he stated his premise from the very beginning. This was his premise. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity, vanity of vanities. And then, like all good preachers, he closes his book. If you look back on chapter 12, verse 8, we read it last time. He says, vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. From beginning to end of his argument, he declares his point. His point is very clear. Life under the sun is passing, and it lacks substance and meaning. But the preacher has not concluded that life itself has no meaning. In his final words, they sum up the matter, and we're going to see it today, by speaking of what is to come after life. And what is to come, what is to come, makes life under the sun matter. What is to come makes life under the sun matter. It's actually, it's actually that um, what comes after death that highlights the purpose of life. So here's our big idea this morning. You'll see it up on the screen This is the big idea. Life under the sun matters, for at death, God will judge every deed. Life under the sun matters, for at death, God will judge every deed. 
The word of God, the Bible, has a clear teaching about death and its origin, its origin and what happens after death. And um, I know most of you here, you believe God's word to be true. So as we study, as we, as we read, as we contemplate this text, I hope it helps you to live life well, to redeem what you have. Uh, some of you may not trust the Bible as of yet. It, it may be um, something that you haven't learned to see the truth of it. So please listen, though, and, and consider what it says, because the answers that you look for about death are found in the Bible. They're there for you. Um, to follow our, 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 our um, lesson this morning, uh, we're going to break it into three parts, three implications of death and coming de- judgment. Three implications. The first one is this, preaching matters. The first one is preaching matters. This will be verses 9 through 11. The second one will be perspective matters. This will be verse 11 and then the second half or the first half of verse 13. I said that wrong. Perspective matters will be chapter, verse 12, and the second half, the first half of verse 13. I'm confusing everybody. I'll start over. Preaching matters, 9 and up through 11. Perspective matters, 12 and the first half of 13. Third one, practice matters, second half of 13 and verse 14. So preaching matters, perspective matters, practice matters. Let me read our text this morning, and then we'll dive in. Chapter 12, verse 9. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings they are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness to the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Ecclesiastes closes by looking not from under the sun, but looking into the heavens and the place of God's judgment. In the Old and the New Testaments, the Bible uh, talks about the topic of judgment, and it, it, it's, it's, it's pervasive throughout the Old and New Testament. It, and it's clear that God is the one and the only one who will bring justice to the things that are wrong. Uh, Jesus, in the New Testament, often spoke about coming judgment and about his authority to judge, given to him by the Father. In like turn, his disciples, those who followed him, they preached and warned about future judgment. Uh, Paul, the apostle who brought the gospel to the nations, uh, central to his gospel message was the judgment to come. And as the author to the Hebrews just states it very clearly, he says in Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed for man once to die, and after that comes judgment. Coming judgment is a fact in the Bible and within the Bible. And, and, And the preaching of God's word is God's way to warn and awaken people to its coming. If you live under the sun with judgment to come, you need, you need preaching. You need preaching. You need preaching because the world is deceptive and it's attractive. It draws us in. You need preaching because the cares of the world are many and they desire to pull us away. You need preaching because your soul is at times discouraged and upset. You need an encouragement 
to press on, to believe the truth of God's word. We are all the same. We need preaching because preaching is God's means to awaken, awaken our souls. Preaching is declaring God's word, his truth, in a way to persuade us to heed it. We need to be persuaded to hear God's word and to heed God's word. Looking at verses 9 and 10, you see them there. Um, the preacher has strategically arranged um, his, his argument and used reason and logic and appealing words and facts to persuade. It says he weighed and he studied. It says that he, he arranged his proverbs with great care. It sounds that he, he says he found words of delight and he wrote words of truth. If you've been with us over the past year, you know that Ecclesiastes, it really is a work of art. You compare it to other writings in history and people would say, this is a work of art. But as well, it's also a work with structure and well-arranged to convince us, to persuade us of God's truth. Um, but that doesn't mean, and I think you know this, it doesn't mean Ecclesiastes is easy to receive. Uh, you, you've probably seen it. It's, it's pessimistic, it seems like, at times. And, and, and it repeats the same thing. And, and it, it really presses in the vanity of life. And it seems even at times to contradict every parts of the Bible about no pe- meaning in life. Uh, and the contest is, is vexing. And it, it presses at us. And it seems ambiguous and frustrating. And it stirs us and it upsets us. Now, if that is true for you, that's actually the point. The preacher, his purpose has been to, to upset us, to strike us. Look at verse 11. It says, the preacher wrote words to afflict, to goad the conscience, and to bind, to nail truth into our souls, to cause discomfort in order to teach lasting truth. The preacher has systematically exposed the painful emptiness of life And it's painful because when our idols that we have, that we cling on to, when they're ripped away, it's painful. He showed that under the sun, think back what he showed. He showed that under the sun that human wisdom, knowledge, and wit, and know-how, they just aren't enough. He showed that pleasure, laughter, and song, and women, and wine, they they don't lead us satisfied, they leave us looking for more. He showed how power and prestige They're just a facade, and and that injustice and oppression prevail in this world. He showed that when we long for money and possessions, and we we think those are going to satisfy us, we are only left wanting. And ultimately, this is what he comes to the conclusion, ultimately death comes. We all get old, we age, our bodies fail, and we go to the grave. Depressing. (laughs) Right? And that's exactly the preacher's point. Like the point of a goad to push the ox forward and the nails are used to fasten truth, fasten um, a piece of wood to a house. The preacher inflicts pain to awaken and he uses repetition and artful prose to plant, to nail truth into our heads. I think some of us need to be nailed in the head every so often. (laughs) Preaching matters. We need preaching to poke us and to fix truth in our lives, to tear away those idols that grab us and want us to look for them. But ultimately, we need preaching because it's God's, word of spe- God's way of speaking to us. Look at the end of verse 11. The words of the preacher, it says, are, the, are from one shepherd. 
This is God. They are the word of God. Throughout the Bible, God is declared to be um, the shepherd of his people. And you think about Psalm 23, probably most famously. Um, it's an artful, beautiful depiction of God as our shepherd who leads us through the valleys of this life, the difficulties of this life, in his loving care. And he does so by his word. And even more, the greatest of all preachers, Jesus Christ, who is he called? He's called the word of God and he is the good shepherd. In, in John's gospel, do you remember that John said, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In the book of Revelation, Revelation who John, which John also wrote, he said that Jesus' name is the word of God. And John also recorded in his gospel what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He's the chief shepherd. He is the great shepherd. So the word made flesh, and the good shepherd was a preacher. His ministry was a ministry of preaching and preaching the kingdom of God. One of the first things he declared when he came on the scene in his ministry, he said, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. He went about preaching. Preaching matters. Counterfeit preaching doesn't matter, the words of men, but preaching the word of God of the one shepherd When it's preached, it changes our souls. We need preaching. Paul, he charged a young minister, Timothy, to preach the word. He said, I charge you in the presence of God and in Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, preach the word. Preaching is needed, especially in the light of judgment to come. We need reproof and rebuke and exhortation, help to push us forward that we might endure the temptations of this world. I want to say this. Every one of you who are followers of Jesus, we need you to preach. We need each other to preach. Most in this room are not pastors, but you still have a role to preach God's word. Your preaching is needed by those who are in your life. Your preaching is needed. Because coming judgment is a reality for all die. We all are going to die. Last week, um, I was anxious. For several weeks, I've been anxious. I've felt like my, um, I've just been, things have just been failing that I've been a part of. And when Pastor Stephen stood up here and preached from Psalm 134, he said, come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. That's what it says in Psalm 134. And then he said, he preached and he said, when you feel weary, you feel like not pressing on, Keep on going. That's all he said. Keep on going. That spoke into my heart. I needed that word preached to my soul. But, but not only Stephen, my, my wife uh, preached to me last week when I was kind of anxious and um, maybe causing a scene at home. We weren't in a church. We were lying in bed. And she was, I was discouraged and she was preaching to my soul. She was preaching boldly. And at the time, I didn't like it. It was like a nail. It was like a, it was like a goad. But she urged me to faith and to trust in God. We need each other. We need preachers. Brothers of the word, the word needs to be preached. As a shepherd leads his flock, we need to pastor one another and lead one another by preaching. This is why it's important to be with the church. This is why we need community. This is why we need small groups. This is why we need our private devotional time. We need preaching from the pulpit. We need preaching on the couch. We need preaching in the bedroom. We need 
preaching of pastors. We need preachers from friends. We need to preach to ourselves. If you live under the sun with judgment to come, we need preaching. Preaching matters. Preaching matters. Next, let's look at perspective matters. Perspective matters. We're going to look at verse 12 and then the, second, or the first half of verse 13. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of many, making many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness to the flesh. If you're a student, can you say amen? <laughs> at the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God. Stop there. Fear God. The perspective from which we view an action really doesn't matter. We're going to be hiking up to Camp Mir um, tomorrow. And if you look up on the mountain, you see these little ridges. And you think, oh, that's neat. It kind of looks nice up there. You go up there, and those ridges are giant craters. Your perspective matters. Sometimes we know perspective matters, but we don't really want to see it, so we close our eyes to it. We'd rather cover our eyes than have perspective. Uh, this last week, we were um, driving in the car, and there was a little spider that I saw on the dashboard. And I said, there's a spider. And one of my passengers was so terrified that she screamed, crawled into a ball, and closed her eyes. At the same time, she happened to smash her hand upon her water bottle. It shot the dashboard. Water went everywhere. And I very, almost swerved off the road trying to kill this beast that was coming to get us. <laughs> the itsy bitsy spider. Sometimes we, we close our eyes to things. Perspective is important, but sometimes we don't want to see. After 12 chapters of argument, the preacher, he's uncovered you know, all the various ways in which we pursue happiness under the sun. He's shown how they're vain. And the preacher warns us, and he teaches us now that we need to respond to preaching. It, it, it's one thing to hear preaching, but then not to respond, it, it, it's futile. He warns us against indecision and ignorance and delay. There, there must be a response. There must be application to what is being preached. He wants us to learn um, from repeating his own error. He tried so many ways to be happy. He wants to spare us from the endless weariness of finding happiness under the sun. And he alarms us just to the number of books that have been written and his time to find happiness. How many more books have been written today? We, we can't, he would never even believe we had this many books that way. That study and study and more study um, doesn't necessarily lead to anything of application. It's just inaction, indecision, and disregard. This summer, Ben mentioned we're going to be hearing preaching from the book of Acts. And uh, you can look forward to that series. It, it shows the, the, the disciples who went out into the world and preached Jesus. Now the gospel spread to the world. It's, it's going to be a, a fun series of the summer. And within that book, Paul preached to some of the greatest thinkers of his time in Athens and Greece. These were brilliant philosophers of the world. were well studied and read, I'm sure, much better than we are. And Paul sought to change their perspective by warning them of the coming judgment. He called them to repent because of coming judgment. He reasoned with these intelligent people and tried to save them from the pull of the world that drags on. I mean, they're just the search for knowledge and know-how and the pride of it. And giving them the right perspective by pointing them to coming judgment. But this is the air that they made and the one that we need to watch out for. 
their response was, they said, we will hear you again about this. We'll hear you again about this. Both rejection of a message and the endless study of a message without application, it's dangerous. Both responses avoid the right perspective. They, they leave, you leave unmoved and unchanged. Indecision and, and action are not any better than just outright rejection. On another occasion, Paul is in prison and he preaches to a government of, official named Felix. And he, he tells Felix, he reasoned with him about righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come. And Felix was alarmed, but he said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. In this instance, Felix was concerned. He was fearful about judgment to come. But instead of responding, he metaphorically did the, the spider thing. He closed his eyes, he curled up in a ball, and he screamed. <laughs> he, he, he plugged his ears. He didn't outright reject the judgment to come, but he ignored it. Hearing and not doing is an error we must avoid. It, it's possible to go to Bible study after Bible study after Bible study and not apply it. It's possible to be a sermon connoisseur, you know, just enjoy listening to men or women weave their words together in a way it's appealing, especially now where you can go online with a click of a button and listen to thousands of sermons. If you're not applying, it's dangerous. But Paul, he warned of this in to 2 Timothy 3.7. I think it's more relevant today than ever before, where he said in the last days, there would be those who are always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. If you live under the sun with judgment to come, perspective matters. And since we all live under the sun, perspective matters. The preacher exhorts us to the right perspective. When all is said and done, coming judgment puts life in the right perspective. The right perspective is to hear God's word and bow to God. It is, it is to know that judgment informs us that we will all stand before God. It reminds us that time is ticking. It's ticking, and it will run out. Therefore, we all, first and foremost, should fear God, it says here. To see God for who he really is, and to see ourselves in light, uh, in light of him, and to see our lives in relationship to him. Oh, he's a great and wonderful God who loves his people and is always drawing them back. And, but he's a fearful judge who will make all things right. And we should respond with worship and adoration, with reverence. We are called not just to hear, but to respond with the fear of God. I think many of you know I, I coach soccer. And many times, well, I guess it's not many times, but more times than I would like, my teams, they don't respond, they don't start getting going until the clock is about ready to run out. Why do they do that to their coach? It's stressful. This last week ago, i thankful I wasn't there, but the other coach was there, and they had to wait until they were down three goals with 15 minutes to go to try to come back and start playing. Why? Thankfully for them, they were able to do it. They were able to tie the game. But more usually when you do something like that, the clock runs out. Many people will walk through life, walk through life lacking perspective. The draw of the world, it really is strong. It wants to pull us. There's so many things that intrigue us about the world. And, and so when we close our eyes to coming judgment and we, we seek to find happiness under the sun, 
This is not only non-Christians, but it's Christians as well. We lose focus. We lack perspective. We take our eyes off God and onto the world. Do not wait. Do not delay. Don't ignore the judgment is coming. Jesus will judge, it says, the living and the dead. Pastor Stephen then read that when we were earlier in righteousness. The right perspective is the fear of God. To see your life and all of life under the rule and reign of the holy living God and respond with reverent worship. The end of life, the point of death, is really the, the, the ultimate clock. It's the ultimate clock. Let the reminder of coming judgment point you to God. For if you live under the sun with judgment to come, our perspective matters. Our perspective matters. And the right perspective, tying into our last point, the fear of God, much has much to say about our practices, or what we do, how we obey. So our final implication about the judgment to come is practice matters, our deeds, our actions. Let me read verses 13 and 14. I'll kind of come back to the beginning again. Here we go. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Practice matters. When we speak about judgment, um, I think most of us, I mean, probably just because it's most known that way, we think about punishment or retribution. But the biblical category of judgment is much, much wider. Uh, there is judgment for good evil, and there's actually judgment for good. There are consequences for evil and rewards for good. It's like um, the, two, the two sides. You can have judgment in the courtroom when you're rendering um, a, a, a sentence, or you can have judgment on the awards stand, the awards podium, where you're giving a prize. Um, the, a, a boxing judge awards the prize. Uh, to use a few more P's, <laughs> The judge is prize and penalty. Prize and penalty. But before we consider the results of judgment, that's prize and penalty, I, I want us to consider what is judged and who is judged. What is judged and who is judged. The, the, the preacher declares that every deed and every secret thing will be judged. Apparently from this, judgment is quite comprehensive. It, it covers Everything, nothing escapes. Jesus said that on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Says this in Matthew 12. Paul also says, therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the hidden things that are in darkness, and disclose disclose the purposes of the heart. So if we put this all together, every deed, every hidden thing, Every word and even every purpose of the heart will be judged. That is really quite comprehensive. And after saying that, it might seem like an overkill, but answering the question of who will be judged is also important. And and the answer is everyone. Everyone. No one escapes. Peter and Paul specify that both the living and the dead, those who have, are living today and will have, have passed already. Uh, Paul says that we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And who is he speaking to? He was speaking to the Corinthian church. So both Christians and non-Christians will 
be judged. All will be judged, the living and the dead, Christian and non-Christian. So when the preacher declares that man's whole duty is to fear God and keep his commandments, he is making a clear statement that our practices, our deeds matter in light of judgment. What we do matters. Our actions, our words, our thoughts matter. Simply put, our obedience to God matters. And if we dig a little deeper about obedience, it's both the positive obedience and the prohibitive obedience. So God says you, can, you should do certain things and not do other things. So uh, what matters is when we keep the positive commands, to love him, to love our neighbor, to fear him, that matters. Uh, to um, seek justice, to care for the poor and the widow and the orphan. These all matter. To encourage our brothers and sisters of the Bible, these matter. As well as the prohibitive commands that matter. Uh, Not to steal, not to cheat, not to covet or lie or blaspheme. Our practices matter in light of the judgment to come. They will all be judged. And this is why the message of Jesus Christ that we proclaim as a Christian church is so important. For only one man has ever obeyed every positive command of God and every prohibition of God. He is the only one who can be judged faultless, without error, without sin. And even more than that, he is righteous and good. He did both He didn't do the things he weren't supposed to do, and he did the things that God commanded. Everyone else, and that includes you and I, have reason to fear judgment because we have not fulfilled our duty to keep God's commands. The mysterious good news of the gospel is that there is is one who is perfect, and that perfect one has already been judged. The one who should have received commendation, the prize, for his obedience, received retribution penalty for the heirs of his people, for the sins of his people. He did that on their behalf. Jesus Christ stood in the place of those who follow him. So everyone, those who are disobedient, and their sins can be covered by his judgment on the cross. And not only that, it goes further. He then imputes his goodness. He gives his goodness to those... And, and it is accounted to them. Followers of Christ do not receive penalty, but prize at the judgment seat. All who live under the sun, with judgment come, they will stand before the judge of all the earth. All deeds and words and thoughts and actions will be judged. But the good news is this. The, the one who is the judge was judged. The one who is the judge sacrificed himself for the disobedience of his, all mankind. For all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and that judgment seat is the seat of Christ. What will that day be like? What will that day be like? For those who have fallen in love with the one who has loved them to the point of the death, it will be a glorious day. We cannot... We cannot fathom how glorious it will be. It will be a joyous day. As we receive commendation, prize for the responses of obedience to God, as he, we, we receive 
um, the blessing of his obedience and then the things we've done in response to his love will be received prize for them. Living for Christ and glorify him. Denying ungodliness in the world. But for others, those who have ignored the one who is the judge of all, who've sacrificed his life for them, it will be a terrible day. It will be a terrible day. It will be a day of weeping and gnashing of teeth for those who have loved the world over the one who is Lord of the world. And it will be too late. There will be no time to repent. Now, I know the words that I'm speaking right now are uh, firm, jarring, and severe, but I don't know how else to talk about that day in a different way. It will be the day to stand before Christ. The judgment of God is coming. It is nearer than you think. It is nearer than you think. Coming to conclusions about the judgment, about what happens after death, ought not to be ignored or avoided or delayed. For what you do in response to the news, or the preaching of the gospel, or the judgment to come, makes all the difference on how you live in this world under the sun today. If you do not know Christ today, I urge you to accept his mercy, his loving sacrifice. For while you were in your own sins, while you're in your own sins, he died on your behalf. And he, he urges you to receive him and then to obey him out of love for what he's done. In your disobedience, he died for you. And for those of you who are followers of Christ today, who have committed your life to Christ, remember the judgment of God. When faced with love, with lust, or envy, or desires that, or, or anger, ponder his sacrifice for your sin, and think of the the rewards you will receive for rejecting the evil and doing the good. Christ, he really is, he's done the big job. He's done the big job. He lived a perfectly obedient life. He sacrificed and covered your sins. He has been judged, and he will judge, and, and we have the small job. <laughs> we have the small job. We respond to his love, the fear of God, and the posture of a heart that desires to be obedient and follow him. Let me close with this. The world under the sun, it draws our affections. Can you relate to that? It draws our affections. Uh, and, and when we gaze on what the world has to offer, when we look at the ads or we see the picture of that thing that we think is going to make us happy, of riches or power or beauty, it really is it's irresistible when we gaze upon it. The, the world's power to grab us is greater than our own willpower. So we need to gain a better perspective. And the preacher has exhorted us to a, a better, more beautiful, more wonderful perspective. That's the perspective of seeing Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, he's the judge, he's the shepherd, he's the suffering savior, and he is altogether more glorious than anything in the world. So when we gaze upon him and his coming, we gaze upon the day when he will judge the living and the dead, and that will be a most glorious day for his people. There's so many reasons to look to him and reject what is in the world. And in so doing, your lives will have meaning and purpose under the sun. 
And one day, he will stand unashamed before him on that great day. Let's pray. Lord, as we consider um, death and what happens after death, it's sobering. Um, It's also pretty exciting to think of the day when we get to see you, to be with you, and the, the work that you've done on behalf of your people to save and to free us from guilt and sin, the grace that you've given, the mercy you've shown Lord, we who follow you, we long for that time where we get to be with you and um, see you and enjoy you. God, we pray for those who don't know you. Uh, Lord, that you would have mercy in their lives, that they would be wooed towards you by your great love and care and sacrifice before the, the time is too late. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.